0: sure
1: ah. can you hear me okay yes yeah. we can and we are recording so uh we are speaking with the uh, the one and only uh, jeff uh, tate the new album is a sweet oblivion featuring jeff tate uh and the album uh is called relentless it is out on april 9th and as we say here in montreal uh, bonjour jeff comment allez-vous and you should know that since you lived here for such a long time or a while
0: yeah it's it's been a while <laughs> back in the uh, mid 80s and uh yeah I can't believe it's been so long ago wow I, I know you yeah, that's that's pretty cool Yeah he
1: he he is definitely a a Montrealer and in fact a Jeremy Operation Mind Crime was inspired by the Saint-Sulpice uh, on Saint-Denis but uh jeez
2: Saint-Sulpice of all places I know
0: <laughs> I know Well I think it's a I think it's a sports bar now but uh, back then it wasn't, it was uh, what we call in America A dive bar, you know oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Kind of a bit of a low-rent place, you know
2: Yeah, but, there's uh, a lot of those yeah. Montreal, though It's like, you know, you go to Biff Tech on Saint Laurent It's one of those, the sleaziest, dirtiest dives But that's where Dave Grohl goes to drink Every time Foo Fighters play Montreal So, you know, everybody's, every, everywhere's got their own character
1: Absolutely yeah, That's true so let me just quickly get into to, to the Sweet Oblivion album. It is the second one. The last time we did this and we spoke, you had told me that you never met the other guys and that you were thrilled to have done this via the internet and you sent emails back and forth. And, you know, being in studio, there's way, a lot of wasted time, so this was more efficient. So, okay, first of all, have you met the guys now and are you still working through email or did you finally head down to a studio?
0: <laughs> Um no. <laughs> I I've never I've never met any of the people involved with the first one. Uh this new one, um I have met Aldo, uh who is uh, the producer and, and uh, main writer of the album. I have met him before, um, but I haven't seen him for the entire length of this project. <laughs> We've been in other places. <laughs> working at different studios and uh, he's in Italy and I was in Ireland for the recording of uh, this album. So uh, yeah, it didn't work out to be together, but, but then again, you don't really need to be, you know, I mean, you are working in studios in separate places and uh, the technology is such these days that, uh, you know, nothing suffers, you know, from not being in the same room and, you know, you communicate via phone or or email and it it works great. Now, course we have video conferencing zoom and all that so it's it's uh it's just like being there you know, know. Right. We should
1: have, we should have done this on a zoom by the way um let me just get into into the the style here because I, I listened to it and i loved it and and i even commented and i don't know if the comment will will resonate or if you don't want to hear this but i said i said this is the best queensrike album of the last 25 years because it just it just has that voice it has that texture and it's just like Yes, this is what I want Jeff Tate to sound like and be doing. Um, how do you feel about it? Is is this, you know, does it, is this comfortable territory for you? Are you happy the way it turned out?
0: Um, yeah, very much so. it's It was a pleasure working on this project. Aldo is a fantastic um, writing partner and um, just very open to all kinds of different suggestions. And he's very easy to work with, you know. So, so that's a big step and that, that makes a big difference, you know, when you're um, comfortable working with somebody. And we just hit it off right away, you know, and uh, it, it turned out uh, very good. I, I'm very pleased with it. And, you know, it's a it is very comfortable musical territory for me. It's something, you know, it's not too much of a departure from what I have done in the past, you know, and uh, I hope people like it.
2: It's pretty cool that you talk about the fact that, you know, technology has come such a it's come such a way because now you can literally be transatlantic and record a record with these guys and create such great, tunes. you know, is, is that weird, though, in the sense that, you know, from you coming from the 80s where you guys are, you know, a band and sitting in the studio together and being creative together and sitting with the producer and the engineer and figuring out sounds and working out songs. And is, is that creative process better for you? Or do you prefer the old days of working together
0: as a band? Well, in, in my experience, I've never worked together as a band. It was always one or two people working together and developing the thing. And then the other people would come in and play their parts and then leave. Hmm. And so nothing's really changed, you know, in that respect. It's, it's not like I don't I don't really know of too many bands who, you know, all four or five guys sit in the room all day long and work on stuff. <laughs> you know, it just, it just doesn't <laughs> happen that way.
2: <laughs> Unless you're Def Leppard yeah. and take three years to make hysteria.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was because you couldn't get everybody in the same room for very long. <laughs> right.
2: No, I, yeah. I, and it's fun. It's interesting. You say that, you know, cause cause I'm a fan, you know, I'm 26 years old and I got introduced to, you know, like melodic hard rock and the metal stuff, you know, when I was in high school, everybody was listening to dance music. And then I was listening to this stuff and, you know, I'm 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 holding my Empire 20th anniversary CD in front of me. So now it's, you know, celebrating it'll be 32 years that this record came out. And I, I always wanted to know that, you know, talking to you, you know, for a young guy that got introduced to this music a little bit later on, you know, listening to songs like Best I Can and Jet City Woman and Another Rainy Night. You know, I really think that this is one of the most underrated albums of that time period, not only from the songwriting and your performance on that album is just so iconic to me, but even the production of the record. And I really feel like, you know, metal albums tried to copy that sound going forward, if you know what I mean, like the drum sound and the guitars and even, you know, the, the processing on your vocal. Do you look back on that album and think fondly of it and say, yeah, you know, what? we did something pretty damn magical on that?
0: Um, yeah, the Empire album was uh, was a phenomenal project, really, on a lot of in a lot of uh ways and on, on a lot of levels. One, from the production standpoint, um, we worked with Paul Northfield, of course, who's a, a pretty famous guy from uh the Montreal area, Canadian. Uh, mm. uh I, think, I think actually Paul's British, but uh, he uh was living in Montreal when we were uh working with him, and um. James Barton, of course, and Peter Collins were was involved as a producer, and and uh, yeah, they they took that production team was phenomenal together, and uh, we recorded uh, a lot of uh, real interesting um, sounds. You know that uh, I think by today's uh, standards, uh, producers and engineers look at that album kind of as a reference. You know. Mm-hmm. A sound reference because it, it really sounds good you know oh it uh, sounds a lot of different.
2: Radical, like i think of, it's one of the on best sounding of different... albums of the 80s
0: yeah i think so too it has a a, a real um presence to it you know now I, lately i've been um uh working on on records in the studio and then putting my work up against uh other songs and newer newer productions and you know the empire album is very uh lacking in the sense of the bottom end you know um it's a it's a it's a rock album from that time period and then the, the bottom end isn't really what it is today you know on on records right. but everything else sounds incredible <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah it's really it's really it's really something and but yeah it was uh it was a magical time and um, you know i'm very proud of that album and we were in the midst of the uh Thirty-year anniversary uh, uh, concerts celebrating that album uh, when the pandemic hit, and uh, yeah. so we we look forward to when we when we get started up again, uh, continuing that tour and, and, and playing that album in its entirety, which I really love doing. I was loving playing that album.
1: It's a great. Yeah. It's the one that got me into Queensrÿch, and I'll just ask you real quick: you, you did a, a show over the weekend, and you did a show in Florida not too, not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Has it just been sort of weird getting out there? I mean, is everybody sort of tenuous or, or, or trepidatious and just going, all right? Well, we're here. Like, what's the vibe these days? Like, what was that Florida vibe like? Was it like yay rock and roll, or was it like, all right, let's just do this. Let's keep everybody safe. Let's. Uh, how was the vibe?
0: Well, it was. Uh, the vibe is uh, when, actually during the show, you you wouldn't even know that there's anything different, you know, going on. People were enthusiastic. They're happy to be there. They're enjoying themselves. They're singing along to all the songs, and uh, it it feels n- no different, you know, uh, from my perspective. It's just the lead up and the aftermath of getting there, and you know, being there and getting there and that kind of thing. It's, it's all different, of course, you know, and the the venues have taken you know great care to you know, revamp their ventilation systems and uh, the way they have the seating laid out there's so much distance between people and like the show we just played in uh, the seattle area here a couple days ago it was uh 25 capacity you know so everybody was very spread out Uh, but it i tell you from from my point of view it felt so great to play live again and uh it seemed also from my perspective that the audience was uh just full tilt into it
1: yeah i i can imagine and and it's you know, I, I know back in the day if you'd go to a show and, you know, you're at the Bell Center or the forum and 3,000 people show up, you go, oh, geez, that's not too good. But now it's they're, they're limited, but it's just like, yes, we're here, we're moving forward, we're getting there slowly. Um, in terms of moving forward with Sweet Oblivion, is that something that you want to see just as a band or a uh, album project where you just do these albums every couple of years? Or do you actually say, okay... Let's get Antonio and Michelle and Aldo, and let's head out on the road, and let's go play whatever gigs. When, of course, gigs can be played. Uh, do you want to make it a touring band, and, and or do you want to just say, no, we'll make every album every two years, and talk to me in two years?
0: Uh, well, I honestly haven't thought that that far ahead with it. Actually, <laughs> you know, because we made the first one, you know, it's really good. Project that you do, um, and, and this that first project was 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 a project that uh, was you know conceived and we completed it and put it out there and and I, I had no intention of ever really playing with guys, um, you know I have my own band of people, um, uh, my group of musicians that I that I uh, travel with and and uh, play music with and if we perform some of those songs, if I, if I ever do, it'll be with the people I, you know, put together to do that. Um, And this album, I think the same way it's, it's all the people involved with it, making it are all musicians and and people doing other things. So getting everybody together to go out on a tour would be a huge undertaking, you know, Mm. but uh, I, I do, I would like to play some of the songs live at some point. I think that would be very, uh, very cool to do that.
2: Yeah, you can pre-order and save relentless on CD, limited edition green vinyl, and digital formats, wherever music is sold, coming out on April 9th. Um, is having a vinyl of this album important to you?
0: Um, well, I do have a collection of vinyl albums and a really nice <laughs> turntable and a system. And, you know, after I listen to the records, guy. After I listened to the the vinyl records, you know, through uh, once, that was enough for me to not open them up again and put them on the on the system. They <laughs> just don't sound great, you know. Uh, and I've got yeah, a but the old system. albums don't
2: have a good sound to them. But the new ones that are you know 180 gram, I I think they sound phenomenal. So that's pretty much all I buy. Yeah. Like I'll buy a CD for the car and you know, but I, I always have I gotta if it comes out on vinyl, I gotta have it for the collection, you know.
0: I like I like to collect them definitely, and I, I have a, a pretty large collection now. And my one of my son in laws is, is a huge vinyl freak, and he's constantly buying me albums, you know. <laughs> and and I'm I'm finding them for him too. I, I've actually bought all of my albums on vinyl and have everything that that's been released on vinyl, which nice. is kind of fun.
2: Have you ever just like bust out you know
0: empire operation
2: by crime Store on the turntable like yeah go and have a listening party of course
0: oh yeah i, I did i did you know <laughs> yeah and then i put on the seat C- then i go ahead and you know put the cd on or the the uh the mp3 you know <laughs> the, MP3. <laughs> like the way that sounds better <laughs> <Yeah>. you <laughs> you know, you- that- i like the easy i like the easy access to music you know that i can just pull it off my phone and boom you know it's there yeah. when i want to hear a yeah. song
2: a lot of people do that. You know, they'll go and sample like a new album or something you know, on Spotify or Apple, but the real fans will actually go and buy the physical product, you know, support the band. And you know what? to be fair, oh, yeah. it it also sounds better. You know, the CD will always sound better than that, you know, low bit stream that Spotify or Apple Music is, is going to give you. So as the artist, I, I, mm-hmm. I think you want your art to be heard in its truest form,
0: right? Well, I don't believe that there is a true form anymore. It's uh, if you take like we spend months working on a, a, a track or an album in the studio, right? And we get it sounding pristine, just the way we envision it. And then you take it out to your car and you put it on the car speakers and oh my God, you can't hear the hi-hat. Mm-hmm. So you're back in the studio tweaking the hi-hat sound trying to get it to stand out. And then you take it and you get it where you like it and you take it to your friend's um, stereo system and you put it on there and oh my God, the vocal's buried in, in the second bridge. <laughs> oh my god, it, music sounds different on every system you play it on. So what what you try to do is just find a, a balance between trying to make it sound okay on everything, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, and especially with everybody you know listening on their iPhone speakers now, it's like you can't really win. You, you can't
0: win. Let me just take
2: up on that though. When
1: when you're recording, are you more worried about getting that perfect sound and that perfect, you know, that mutlang kind of thing going on? Or are you more uh, worried about capturing a performance and a vibe? And if there's a mistake, who cares? It's got that vibe. It's got that magic. Is it, is it performance over production for you, or production over performance?
0: Well, I try to treat both equally, but uh, I think that you you can't have a, a great production unless you have great performances, you know. And uh, it, and so it, it always starts with the. Uh, you know, the performance above everything. And then after you have this collection of great performances and now it's, you know, what do you do with that? And, and that's where it gets kind of weird and, and uh, interpretive, I'll say, (laughs) because, you know, one guy takes that those great performances and he can make a, a muddy sounding uninspired mix. And another guy takes it and just blows it out of the water and makes this beautiful, you know, stunning, piece of art you know <laughs> so it's all interpretive really
2: yeah and we were talking about empire and how you know it sort of is lacking that little bit of bottom end you know do you think at some point you guys would go in and remix that record and add a little bit more bass to it and you know re-eq it and remaster it
0: well i think it's uh, been remastered and it's supposed to be coming out uh, from whoever owns it now i think it i think it might still owns it they were talking last year about putting it out again as a remastered thing. So maybe they'll, you know, add some bottom end to it. That yeah. would definitely be better. Because nowadays, you know, people's sound systems handle a lot more bottom end, you know.
2: Right. Huh. Oh, interesting. It's interesting that you say that people's sound systems now handle more low end. Like back in the 80s, like when you guys were mixing this album, was, was, was there any subs in the studio? Or like, like why, was there a reason why there was like little bass in the mix?
0: you know, mostly people didn't notice it. You know, they didn't, nobody had systems like they have today. And so, uh, I mean, we had the big, gigantic, you know, impressive 18-inch speakers on the wall, you know, that that we'd run the bass through and the kick drum through and we were recording to make sure that we we heard the bottom end. Uh, But then you never heard them on that again. In fact, when you got your mix up and you're doing mixes, most of the time the mix sounded horrible on those big speakers, you know so yeah it wasn't really a focus you know and you look at like album like uh metallica's master of puppets there's no bass at all on that album <laughs> right well, no, no it's injustice
1: for all it's injustice for all where they strip the bass which right. is <laughs> it's just
2: wrong, which yeah. is too bad but, uh, it's, go ahead. it's weird though that, you know because now it's like music is just so bass heavy like even when i was in high school like um Bose was putting out, you know, the heavy bass headphones because everybody was listening to dance music and stuff. And so mm-hmm. it's interesting, you know, thinking about that now. With oh, the... yeah.
0: Well, bass is bass, the bass uh, instrument, uh, whatever you use for bass, whether it be a keyboard bass or bass guitar. It's mm-hmm. such an important part of music production. Yeah. So important. It's what, it's what moves you. You know, it does. So, uh, yeah, listen to that bass intro on Jet City Woman
2: and it's like, you know, as soon as he goes down to that low note, you're right. It does kind of lack
0: a little bit of oomph to it. So such a great album by today's standards. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And and
1: I'll just say real quick, uh, randomly, my my three favorite Queensryche albums are uh, Promised Land, uh, Empire and uh, Operation Mindcrime, which was recorded here in Quebec, partially at what we call Russia's Abbey Road or Morin Heights' La Studio. (laughs) Right, which it's is Russia, no
2: longer there.
1: Which it's is no longer like, there. But yeah. but but talk to me at the time about going into that studio because you've had the police, you have the Bee Gees, Chicago, David Bowie, April Wine, Rush, etc. Et was that was it palpable when you walked in those doors? Like, oh my God, this is greatness, and this really is Rush's Abbey's Abbey Road,
0: or was it just a studio? <laughs> no, it was. Well, at that time, I had worked in uh some incredible studios in fact i've worked at abbey road before which mm-hmm. was more like a corporate office you know but uh Moran heights was uh a whole different thing it was like being in a executive suite you know it was beautiful and uh, uh the, the surroundings were beautiful you know you had this lake and the beautiful mountains there around that area and then you had this um this technologically advanced uh, facility, where, I mean, the Morn Heights had everything. It had um, it had uh, every bit of the latest technology that that they could buy, and they bought a lot of stuff. It was very advanced, and, and I think that's why a lot of artists were coming there to work. Uh, one, they were so technologi- technologically advanced, and also it, they had uh, this beautiful place, you know, that was very inspiring to be at. I don't know if I ever told you my my first impression of going there.
1: No, let, let's hear if I've told it. No, story, but, but I, but I want to hear we, because we, when, we, when you're in Queensryche and, and they <laughs> say to you, you're going to sorry, I'm just going to say and you're
2: saying you're going to record there. Do you get a <laughs> sense gonna, of like, we're to, Mitch, we're, we're going to fly you to the middle of nowhere, up province, Quebec, Quebec, outside of Montreal and you're going to record an album. No, like but that. there's got
1: to be a sense of,
2: OK, now we've made it and the company
1: believes in us because they're flying us to Le Studio. Not just yeah. any studio, but Le Studio. But what, what, what was your first impression walking well, into Le Studio?
0: Well, we, we weren't in a position to uh, fly anywhere. <laughs> and, we, and we certainly <laughs> weren't flown there by the record company. We, we paid our own way. Drove up uh, the 8-7? And we, and we drove up from Philadelphia because we had recorded the, uh, the drums and the bass in uh, Philadelphia at a haunted studio on the river. Uh, which was a whole nother experience and then we drove our rental cars and vans up to uh, montreal across the border got hassled by the police of course and um and then drove i think we arrived in uh, in mourn heights at about one in the morning and it was dark and snowy and cold and we were all hungry and and horrible feeling and uh, they uh they met us uh, Two people met us uh, there and uh, they showed us to where we'd be staying. And there's a, at at the studio, there was a house that was uh, like a big, big old um, place, kind of looked like a ski lodge or something. And it was very cozy and they had a a fire going, they had food for us and it was just warm and cozy. And we all went to bed happy and hungry that we made the trip. And then the next morning we got up and went skiing. (laughs) because nice. <laughs> there was skiing right there. You know, you could you could morning ski, uh, and then by the time we were done skiing, it was lunchtime, and and the studio was open, and uh, they had everything set up, and our our tech guys had gone in and set up all our gear. So uh, we went right into uh, the studio, and uh, the studio was beautiful, and uh, again very warm and cozy. And there was a big window that looked out on the on the lake, which was, uh, all covered in snow. And, um, man, it was just like, just the place you wanted to be, you know, when you have a bunch of, uh, musical ideas, because, uh, yeah. they had every possible instrument, every toy that you'd want, every effect, you know, uh, to play with. You had this huge palette of tools at your fingertips that, that you could, uh, you know, use. And it was a wonderful time. I think we spent like three months there.
1: By the way, they, this is why they didn't have studios in Las Vegas because they didn't want the bands distracted at the, you know, at the price of budgets back then. It's like let's throw them somewhere where they can't <laughs> go anywhere and they can't do anything, and they'll make the fucking album as soon as possible. It was, it
2: was brilliant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the label is just well like, done. okay, skiing add to the bill,
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine those, uh, these these long haired guys? skiing on the mountain wearing, like, leather jackets and leather pants because we didn't have any snow gear, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I'd love to
2: see photos of that.
0: That'd be hilarious. Yeah. yeah. What, what was what was the... Big the, red.
2: Uh,
1: big red, yeah. yeah. What, what was, like, what was, oh, like, big, what was big, the... Big,
0: big, big red noses is what I was going to say. <laughs> oh yeah. It was so cold, your nose would turn bright red, you know?
1: Yeah, because it's, like, minus 20 at that time. But what, what yeah. was that one piece of gear that when you walked into the studio and they said, oh they have one of these nice we're throwing that on the album
0: somehow oh uh well they had a uh well they had a lot of gear i mean they had every possible keyboard that you could play and you know i'm a keyboard player so i was like in heaven mm. you know I, I can't even remember all the stuff they had, but they had a moog synthesizer they had, they had the uh ARP 2600 classic synths you know and I was just having a field day there. And great microphone selection. Oh my god, they had all the classic mics of the time and and all the new stuff as well. And we got to try out. It was just a wonderful studio experience and I, I I I miss that place. I wish I could have made more more music there.
2: Is there a moment that happened at Lee Studio that kind of stands out for you as like a really fond, cool memory of the place?
0: Um okay. well it has nothing to do with us, really. It's more to do with Rush. Um, they had uh, 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 the, the studio engineer there was archiving some some Rush recordings, and I happened to be in the studio that day, and, and uh, I was wandering around, and he was in one of the other rooms doing this, and I, I popped in. Hey, what are you working on? He goes, Oh, I'm looking working on archiving this Rush stuff here. You want to hear what it is? And yeah, because I'm a huge Rush fan, right? And it was just this weird experiment that uh, Neil Peart had done where he had uh, built this raft and uh, put his drum kit on the raft and then um, floated it out on the lake during the summer. (laughs) Right. And then swam swam out to his drums and then um, they uh, put up microphones on the shore, you know, like 150, 200 yards away. And he played the drums and they recorded them. You know over the water and uh you know sound transmits uh i guess it's some high speed over the water and the sound is like you'd swear that the drums were right in your face as you're listening to them they did not they didn't seem far away at all when you're listening back to it so that was kind of an interesting experiment from a from an audiophile i think
2: <laughs> wow and you know talking about um neil i mean who unfortunately you know, passed away like a year now you know was was neil a big influence on scott because you listen to some of the cool drum fills on there you know like um on jet city woman and another rainy night you know there really i find is some rush kind of vibes on that
0: album oh absolutely if uh queen's Rock would not be in existence if it wasn't for rush they were a very inspirational band um to uh, to Queensryche, uh, to me, uh, as a singer, Geddy Lee was just phenomenal and uh, a lyric writer, Neil was just fantastic, so mm-hmm. inspirational and Alex Lyson was incredibly inventive on guitar, just one of the all time greats and as a, a human being, um, from a human being perspective, all three of the of the men were uh, were, were really cool people, you know, very uh, giving and open and music oriented and not caught up in the hype that uh, oftentimes is associated with uh, being a a famous musician. You know, they were very easy to, uh, to access and to, uh, to talk to really. And Uh we we actually had quite a few uh, interactions with them over the years, you know, for various reasons. Uh, We, we shared a a commonality with uh, our production team uh, and then uh, our management with Bernstein also, uh, uh, was uh, associated with Rush in the early days when they started out. So, yeah, we we were definitely influenced, not only by their music, uh, which is huge, but also by the people themselves.
1: Yeah. Hey, great band. By the way, I'm declaring Jeff an honorary Canadian, just to, just to let you know. Yeah. <laughs> because uh <laughs> b- between <laughs> between living here recording here uh covering the Dalbello song uh going to get close to you which great fucking song by the way uh there we go uh honorary canadian bestowed to jeff uh, uh <laughs> send, him pass- send him a passport <laughs> yeah i i will well hey could be use could be useful these days uh
0: yeah, take it a- well that's when i'm going to that's what i'm gonna say when i uh have trouble at the border next time you know well mitch <laughs> has made me an honorary yeah that's, a, that's a it, Canadian. it that,
2: that has a
1: lot of weight it really does i'm pretty sure my wife would even ignore it actually um <laughs> oh god all right yeah, Just, that'll,
2: that'll either get you right in or turned right around right around anyway yeah bring yeah. us home jeremy <laughs> Yeah, Sweet Oblivion featuring Jeff Tate coming out, Relentless. Uh, April 9th is available wherever music is sold. You get the CD, limited edition, green vinyl, do it on the digital formats. But, you know, buy the CD, buy the vinyl. Jeff wants you to have it in your collection because he's going to have one too. So there you go. Thank you, Jeff. Merci, as we say in Montreal. Merci beaucoup. All right. It was great to meet you, Jeff, and great to talk to you. Uh, Hopefully we'll do this in person sometime. Yeah.
0: Yeah, when the world goes back to normal, which looks like it's on its way. Happy to slowly say. but surely thank you sir all right you guys take care bye bye now
1: cheers see you later